You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 51. At some point, you have to take a step back and kind of clean things up. I firmly believe that building consumer products is all about telling a really good story. And if you're telling a good story, people understand all the different components that go into it. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone, to The Local Maximum. We've got a great, really great speaker on the show today. Three red hot topics. Uh, number one is building products. We're going to talk all about life logging and Swarm and Foursquare. So uh, this is such a really cool thing to me. That's what got me into Foursquare to begin with. Um, we're going to talk about the company Microsoft, and we're going to talk about data analytics in sports. So Avnish and I will talk about all of those um, and he knows a ton about all that stuff. Uh, but but first, an announcement, I guess a a bittersweet announcement. As uh, you all know, I've been at Foursquare for seven years. I mean, I've been saying seven years. So I mean, now it's almost eight years. And at the end of this week, Friday, February first, is actually going to be my last day working at Foursquare. Now. This isn't a complete goodbye to all things Foursquare on the program. Obviously, it's a huge part of my life, and it will continue to be a huge part of my life. And, of course, I will continue to follow the developments of the consumer apps Foursquare City Guide and Swarm, which I use every single day of my life. And I'm, of course, going to continue to draw my guest pool from Foursquare employees, just as we do today. There's a huge reservoir of guests that I can have at the company. And uh, and I won't be very far. And also externally, maybe I'll try to see about becoming a super user. And I am also making a significant personal investment in the company itself. Now, in terms of my time there, my career and my projects, they tend to go in kind of two and a half year cycles. And so I've been at Foursquare for three cycles. That's seven and a half years. And um, in a future episode, hopefully next week, I think it'll be next week, I will take a look back at my time at Foursquare and also what I'm doing next and why. So that's very exciting stuff, but I know that some of you are going to have a lot of questions after today's announcement, so I'll focus on it uh, in next week's show and try to kind of answer it more clearly. So I think it's really fitting that today's episode, we talk about what was really one of the founding ideas behind Foursquare, the idea of building user-friendly, delightful consumer apps based around the check-in that's logging where you go, life logging, and what the benefits of that are and, and, and what you can do with it. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to, uh, ask Avnish about the thinking behind Foursquare Swarm, both in its historical iterations and where it is today. And I mean, look, after all, we're almost 10 years since Foursquare was originally launched. Isn't that crazy? 10 years. And boy, has the world changed. So Previously, I spoke to Dennis Crowley, our founder, and Marissa Chaco, a product manager, about building great products, and of course, uh, Chris, Messina, Chris Messina, which was a very popular show. So we're building on those discussions here. And then I want to talk about uh, Avnisha's time at Microsoft, which is a company we haven't gotten to enough on the program. And finally, we're going to head into data analytics in sports. So this show, there's really something for everyone. 
Let's bring it up. All right, Avnish, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Local Maximum. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This is actually my first podcast that I've first, ever recorded. So first podcast really appearance. Excited. Well, I think you're going to do very well. Yeah. Um, I think even though we only have one microphone today, sorry about that. I think my mic kind of crapped out on me, but uh, we'll, have to, uh, we'll have to get another one. I sent my other microphone to my co-host, Aaron, so that's all the way out in... Uh, in Boston, okay, uh, but best investment I ever made. So, <laughs> uh, so people can hear my co-host. All right. Um, so yeah, I we're going to talk a lot about Swarm and product today. I saw you tweeting this morning about uh, what was that about uh, Slack emojis and Slack. What was that? That looked like a lot of fun. We have Slack reaction emojis. Um, that was a uh, that was a. What exactly did you say again? I yeah, yeah. So, so the, the gist of the tweet was that, you know, whenever I interview for my next job, not anytime soon, but whenever I do, one of the questions that I'm going to ask is about the robustness of the company's custom Slack emoji reaction library. The reaction library. Some of our, I, th- that's a good thing to keep in mind because there's a lot of, some of our reactions are what faces of actual people who work here. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I was, I was, you know, one of, one of my teammates had posted something in Slack and I reacted with something that was absolutely ridiculous. It was basically an Amazon logo transforming into the Mordor eye, which is like <laughs> not something that I actually expected when I typed in Amazon in the yeah. like Slack reaction search bar. And what like dawned on me was like, wow, we have like a Slack reaction for basically everything. And I think it just shows a lot about the personality of the company, of the people who have been here, who work here, of the people in the past. And, and it got me thinking about like, if you actually ask about stuff like that, it doesn't have to be that specifically, but it, it's a really good indication of like, do people invest themselves fully in a company and, and like permeate their personality throughout a company? And so it was just something that I thought of. And yeah. somebody like asked like, oh, can you take a picture of of the picker? And I'm like, I can't because there are 1600 custom emojis oh in there. God. And and like, like, I, I, I was really shocked. I, I thought it was going to be a couple hundred, but 16 is insane. Is there, is there a Slack emoji for you? Not yet, but let's let's not seed that idea. Um, <laughs> but I definitely have. So, yeah. There there are plenty of interesting ones for people on my team, though. So Okay, great. <laughs> I, um, I think, yeah, there's one with Dennis. There's one with, um, oh, I don't know. We should open source some of these. Or, <laughs> uh, especially the Amazon Mordor thing. I think yeah, I know. One. That, one, that yeah. one was great. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, when did you start here working on Swarm app? So I, product manager uh, on Swarm, and you've been here, what, since 20... Uh, just towards the end of 2016 when I started. So I, I just passed uh, the two-year mark uh, about a month ago. So Great. Uh, time's gone by really quickly, but it's it's been a lot of fun working here. And, and you know, it's super impactful and exciting products. So, yeah. yeah now, I want to um, ask you about something controversial because I was reading Twitter today and people were talking about the app split between Foursquare and Swarm. And you came here after Foursquare and Swarm were, at, uh, were split. And uh, just, to, um, just to give a little background for the audience, you know, we had Foursquare was a single app. You can um, life log. You can um, tell people where you are. Your friends can see where you are, kind of, you know, posting all the fun things you're doing around the city. And then, um, and then you could also like you know find your favorite restaurants and figure out where to go out tonight. And so that was split up into Swarm, which you're working on, and City Guide. And most of most of the features that I kind of built were on the City Guide side of things. Although I kind of fell in love with it for the for the Swarm features. But that app split was very. Um, controversial. In fact, the tweet I was reading, the guy said, this is like the worst uh, mistake a startup company made in the last 10 years. And I was like, whoa, 
these guys are still really angry with us about that. Uh, what, but you came in after the fact. So yep. what did you think about the split before you came in? And what's your uh, opinion of it now? Because you must have, when you were like, um, when you were interviewing for Foursquare, you mm -hmm. must have asked about that or other people must have asked you about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really interesting topic because, so, so the story with me is like, I, I started using Foursquare, I think it was, you know, 2010, 2011. And I was right. actually yeah, only using it pretty, pretty casual. Like, like yeah. I wasn't a super power user just yet. And, you know, I, I used it passively. And then you guys split the app in, in 2014. I hadn't right. joined yet. And that's actually when I started getting really into it because I thought it was such an interesting product decision. Like, yeah. I was curious, like, why did they make that decision? It's so interesting. They're, they're going in these two very different directions. And that's when I became hooked on both products. And and it was about two years in between when, when the, the apps were split and when I actually joined Foursquare. And in that time, both of them became my, my absolute favorite app. So, yeah. you know, when I was interviewing and planning on joining, I certainly had a lot of questions but like I just thought it was such an interesting you know product decision to make and, and and it's a very bold choice it's very courageous to say you know we think that there's this new vision this new way of using our products that that people are gonna love and as as is the case with any major company making you know making big changes to a product that lots of people use you're gonna make some people happy you're not gonna make some people happy and you're just gonna have to roll with it and keep going and innovating because that's the only way to stay relevant yeah I mean man the people who who uh tweeted at, at us at the time, you wouldn't believe uh, some of the things that they had to say about an app, the product decision. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so you kind of came in in 2016, and I think you were the first person who can have like kind of a fresh start because a lot of the people who were working on it at that time, you know, had been through the split and so had been kind of, I don't know, um, through the ringer in terms of that whole situation, you got kind of had a fresh look on it. Yep. What are the changes that um, uh, that that have been made to the the, the swarm app um, over the last few years, and and what's kind of been the focus? Um, and you know. We're going to segue into life logging, but yeah, if there's any yeah. answer other than life logging. Totally, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, so so what was interesting is is when I came in, I, I was obviously a huge fan of Swarm, and I, and I checked in basically everywhere I went. Um, but what I had noticed with the app is that over about a two year period from when the apps were split to about when I was joining, it, it become it had more and more and more features. And I and I think what that was a result of was you know there was some negative feedback when the apps were split, and so I think the team kind of worked gradually adding more and more features back into Swarm, things to make it a, a really more fun experience. The and gamification with, that exactly, we kind of fell in love with were kind of pulled out the, of the, the app. The stickers, the coins, and all, all, all that stuff. And, yeah. and it was great. It was very engaging. But it ended up consuming the app experience such that it was actually really complicated. And so you had you know this, this large set of users that loved it and, and thought it was amazing. But then you know there were all their friends out there that like couldn't quite understand it because it was actually really complicated. And so, you know, the, the big opportunity that I had coming in with fresh eyes was, hey, there's a lot of really good stuff in here. How do we, you know, take a step back and try and weave all of these really good components of the product into just a simpler story to tell so that if you want to go talk to your friend who has never used Swarm before, you can explain it really, really simply to that friend so that they could actually get as excited about the product as you were. And so that was kind of the journey that we set out on once I started 
did here of really doing some soul searching and trying to understand what about the product, what are the different elements, the different features about the product that really resonated with users. I, I think there was a period where we kept hearing like, oh, people are unsure which game they're supposed to play. So let's invent a new game and that's going to be the main <laughs> game. And uh, now all of a sudden we have N plus one games. <laughs> uh, that, that's probably not the most successful path to keep going down. Yeah. But, but it's uh, very easy for to get into that rut, I feel like, even though it's obvious when we talk about it in, in hindsight. Well, that, I mean, that's the really challenging part about building products is that the most exciting thing, the thrill is always like, let's build this new thing. Let's build this new thing. Right. And you can't just do that, you know, infinitely. At some point, you have to take a step back and kind of clean things up and, and see what is still relevant. And I, I firmly believe that building consumer products is all about telling a really good story. And if you're telling a good story, it makes sense. You know, where you're going and people understand all the different components that go into it and when you exceed that you can't tell a good story anymore yeah it's it's very hard to rip things out when you built it and you're emotionally invested in it. totally yeah uh, that, I mean, that was certainly something that helped me is that, like, I was able to see all the pieces that were in there and, and as much as possible objectively say, like, this is a component we still really need. This is a component that, like, it had its time. It served its purpose. But, like, we're moving on now. And so uh, we started on that journey and, and, and Swarm 5.0, which was within the first year of me joining, was really about how do we clean up this product? How, we, how do we reorient this product to, like, have this really clear, simple purpose? And, you know, we talked to so many different users, both in the U.S and then around the world. And the one thing that kept coming up was like, I just love using Swarm to help me remember all the places that I've been going. And yeah. that was like the core theme of what we did in my first year here. I, I do want to get to that idea um, in a few minutes because that is a really important idea. And yep. it's one that, that I kind of liked. But I, I now I'm kind of curious as to what you pulled out because I remember Dennis once said when we were building Marsbot, you know, editing is the hardest part. It's, it's kind of like... If you're writing a paper, you need to edit out some stuff. You're writing a long blog post. Yep. You're like, uh, this is, I need the TLDR. You need to remove this paragraph. And people don't realize it's something you have to do in a product as well. So what were what were some things that we took out of Swarm? And I, I, help me remember because I probably can rack my brain and figure that out. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll start with the most controversial one right off the bat, which right. is we actually removed the ability for people to spend their coins on, oh. on things in the app. And so there, that was, there were two different things that they could they could spend on. That, the first yeah. one was, you know, at the time we actually had some perks and discounts in the app that you could spend your coins on to get $5 off or something like that. And then the other was to use your coins to get sticker power up so that you get a 2x or a 3x multiplier. And the basic reason why was that from a perks and discount standpoint, like everybody loves perks and discounts. I love perks and discounts. It was just really hard to yeah. scale that and it was really expensive to run and it just, it wasn't a sustainable strategy and, and it just, yeah. nobody was really fulfilled in what we were trying to accomplish there. And that was something like the original Foursquare when you yep. became the mayor and you get a free drink and yep. a free appetizer. And I got that a few times and I was like, wow, this is the future, but I guess not. <laughs> I, think, I think perks and deals and discounts are the kind of thing that every company is going to always continue to try until somebody eventually gets it right. And yeah. I'm not sure that anybody has gotten it right yet. I'm sure somebody will, maybe we will in the future, but it just wasn't right for us at the time. Right, right. And so a lot of people do complain about like, hey, I'm getting all these coins, mm -hmm. but I can't spend them. Yep. Even when we were spending them, I was kind of feeling like they're not really being spent on something interesting enough. 
Yeah. Um, and so is that why it was removed? Or um, because I don't really miss spending on the stuff that we were spending on. Like even like getting a sticker level too, like it might have been better if it was just a brand new sticker. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the main reason why was that there was a, a small subset of people that loved earning the coins and spending the coins on sticker multipliers. But those multipliers just got you more coins, of which you then spent them on more multipliers. And so it was right. kind of like this endless circle. But when we took a step back, what we saw was the coins served a really nice purpose because you earn them for doing different things. You earn them for going to a new place. You go earn them for going to a new category. You earn them from you know checking in with a friend that you hadn't checked in with for a year. And we thought that those experiences were far more meaningful than you know earning you know another sticker multiplier to get you more coins. And so we wanted to lean more on that experience experience, then, you know, how do we get you more and more coins and, and the ability to spend them? Like, human experiences are ultimately what mean more than anything else. And so we, we, we leaned in on that. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to the idea of life logging mm -hmm. and remembering where you've been. Um, just a little history on mine. I, I sort of saw this as a very interesting use case for Foursquare, you know, from the beginning. And if you remember, I think, well, time hop was basically a, uh, which is an app now that you sign up for and it gives you, um, it gives you information from, you know, what happened the year, uh, like exactly however many years ago on this day. Yep. Um, Relive your check-ins from past years. And right, days and right. Well, that, that yep. started out as a Foursquare-based app. It started yep. out as a, from a Foursquare hackathon. People don't understand how many apps they use today started out as a Foursquare. <laughs> uh, but this was actually a Foursquare API app, and um, it's... Uh, um, and I was always really interested in, in this and also like the search, which I felt like searching where you've been in the past and trying to remember what you did was kind of a, almost like the, the third, like for, for most of our history, it was like the first search was the search for restaurants or places to go. That was the search that I worked on. And that was like the, the top tiered search. The second tiered search was search for friends. Yep. And then... History search was kind of like an afterthought. Yep. And I always thought, like, this is the one that's most interesting to me. Yep. Um, so anyway, that's just a little bit of background to me. So how, how do you deal with life log? So tell me a little bit about the transition to life logging and how does that work vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, sharing with friends? Because that's still certainly a big part of the app. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, you know, when we were kind of doing some soul searching about the app, what did we want to prioritize? What were the things that we wanted to get rid of? I think I mentioned before that the, the theme that we consistently heard from our users was they loved using Swarm to help them remember the places that they've been. And, like, that is... In, at its core, that is what life logging is. And so, you know, we looked at the app and we said, all right, how are, how are users getting this benefit in the app right now? And what we found was a user's own check-ins was very buried in the app and they couldn't easily search for the places that they've been. And that was an immediate trigger of like, this is, the balance is not quite right here. The thing that they value most in the app is the most buried. And so we had to rethink like, how do we balance a user looking at the past of, of their own behavior with the social component of seeing where your friends are in real time. And so, you know, if you look at the the old version of Swarm and, and what we ended up releasing in Swarm 5.0, we really tried to strip away some of the other elements that we thought weren't aiding in life logging. And we brought the the user's own check-ins actually to the, to the home screen of the app. Yeah. I think, I'm not sure how many apps have ever done this, but we actually deprioritized the social feed, which was like a, a thing that certainly made us very nervous. But 
based on the amount of research we had done, based on the amount of talking to users and understanding how important this was to them, we, we felt really comfortable that users want to see their own check-ins. They want to be able to remember where they've been, both in a list format, but the one that really sung was in the map. When a user yeah. could see all of their check-ins in New York, in the U.S., in all the countries they've been to on a map, that's that was the magic moment for them, and they totally understood why they wanted to keep checking it, and they could easily show their friends, this is why every time I go to a restaurant with you, I open up my phone and check in. And, and, and once we got that, we knew we had the right thing there. Yeah, so it was improving the one-player experience. I, I always felt like social, which is still kind of a big part of, of Swarm, but... Um, the, the way the industry thinks about social in, in 2018 when we launched Storm 5.0 and, yep. and today is so different than 2010. Yep. Don't, don't you feel a shift there? I, I mean, honestly, I feel like there's a shift in social every six months. I think that the reality yeah, but there's, is there's is a that, long arc. Uh, th- there is totally a long arc, but like people just fundamentally think about social in the context of how comfortable they are sharing. I think earlier on, even when Foursquare was founded, there was this rapid increase in sharing, and then it shifted to ephemeral sharing. And now we're at a time where we're very conscious about privacy and all that stuff, and we're much more focused on, on our own personal experiences. But contrast that with Instagram, which is very much about building a brand for yourself. And so it's just so complicated. And everybody who's building a consumer social oriented app has to constantly think about what is the implication of this for their users um, and what is the value they get out of sharing. Um, I think the challenge with with what Foursquare and Swarm are trying to do with social is I just want to be able to find where my friends are and hang out with them. And, you know, there there are a few times where it happens really well. Like I'll I'll go to an airport and realize my friend has checked into the same terminal. And like that is a magic moment. Yeah. But unfortunately, it is just kind of few and far between. Yeah. And it's I mean, hard it happens, to make that happen all the time. It happens right? every few months, usually yeah. when you're traveling. And right. it's awesome when it happens. Right. But it can't. I mean, and, and, and yeah. just on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, there is just no good substitute yet for basic messaging apps. And I think right. that's the realization that everybody from us to, to Snapchat to all the different players <laughs> out there come to, right? Where we and everyone else wanted to be a messaging app. <laughs> uh, there, there was some interesting, we did some interesting experiments with swarm messaging back in the day. My, my favorite, which, which never panned out, was the idea that like a venue would have a, a chat room for the venue. Yep. Um, which could be interesting for these like vast events. Um, <laughs> yep. It's definitely uh, an interesting idea. I think that yeah, idea kind of comes up every now and then as yeah. well. Um, there's something to it. I think there's a, a lot of work we'd have to do to figure out how to execute that just the right way. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't fit with everything we're trying to do right now, but it could happen yep. one day. Yep. Um, what? So, what is? What's next for Swarm? Predict the uh, predict the future. What are you guys working well, on? Well, I mean, I mean, the, the, we so we were talking about life logging and the shift towards it, but there was actually a, a big release that we just had a couple of months ago, which is the culmination of like another year long effort. So we talked about the shift to focus on the places I've been to help me remember the places I've been to be able to share this with your friends. And once we did that release, we saw a pretty substantial shift in behavior actually, where people were checking into more and more and more places and looking back at their own history. Histories and and telling their friends, hey, like you wanted a recommendation for a Mexican restaurant, like here's the the best Mexican place that I went to, and we started to see 
this clear need for a bit of overlap between what we started talking about with the app split. There were some Foursquare City Guide features that just needed to live inside of Swarm. And so this past release that we had out a couple months ago actually brings back things like being able to rate a place, being able to save a place, being able to leave a tip for your place so that we could complete the circle of you know, Max, you're my friend. You check into this really interesting restaurant that I see in my social feed. I want to go there too. And when I go there, I want to see the tip that you left for me. And right. so when I see that check-in in my social feed, I save that place. I read your tip. I'm going there too. And it eventually one day lives on lives on my life log. And that is the circle that we wanted to create. That's what we went after in the, in the most recent le- release. And so we're coming off that. We're kind of taking stock of what we want to do next. But th- that was a super exciting release for us as well. Yeah, so that's the that's the circle that was that was you know the kind of the dream in the original Foursquare. One of the dreams. Yeah. I think that if I, well, uh, some of us said it at the time, but I think if I were to do a split again, I would create the city guide from scratch and then have Foursquare slowly morph into Swarm, mm-hmm. um, and just be like, hey, the city guide is a new app and it could focus on recommendations, and then. Swarm would have gone in the direction of well, where it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's really difficult to say what what the right decision yeah. was. I think ultimately we're at where we're at, and I think Swarm is is both both apps are better for it. Like Swarm feels really really good. It feels like it solves the the scenarios that people really want, uh, yeah. and I feel it, like the team feels super proud of where we're at right now. So uh, it, it's hard to rewrite history, but it, right. it feels like it's in right. a good spot. Cool, cool. Okay, now I want to take. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Microsoft for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you were at Microsoft for when were you at Microsoft? Uh, so I was at Microsoft between 2013 and 2016. I, that's back when I lived in Seattle, right before I moved out at now to New York and, and started working at Foursquare. But uh, yeah, had a had a really good experience. A super interesting time there. So working at Microsoft, much, much, and you were product product manager there. Must was, have been yeah. so different um, coming from there to. Foursquare. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit different. I mean, when you think about the fact that Foursquare, we're at what, like 300 employees now and Microsoft's yeah. like a 110,000 person <laughs> company. So there's a few subtle differences in, in, in kind of the working style and how we how we develop products and all that stuff. Right. Um, honestly, too many to count. <laughs> what do you think? What was the, the main thing you had to adjust to? Uh, coming from Microsoft to Foursquare. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for me was just, you know, when I worked at Microsoft, I had, you know, the, the opportunity to work on some products that reached, you know, 500 million users. I worked on Outlook, for example, like so many people in the right. world, you'll depend on Outlook every day. I worked on OneNote, which is their note-taking app. Like 100 million people use that product. Um, and, and I was a very junior PM at the time. I was working on a single feature or set of features. And then when I came to Foursquare, all of a sudden, I was entirely responsible for the Swarm product. Obviously, a great team of designers and engineers helping me out, but like from a product perspective, like it was on me to help chart the next direction for Swarm. Yeah, it's like now you're the guy. Yeah. I, and I, that's how I feel at Foursquare. I mean, and yes, there's like a designer, and like if I'm an engineer, like I'm still the guy, but there's only a few people. Yeah. So it's and, like we're all and it's very just like focused it's on. just a like a, a dramatic increase of responsibility. Right. Uh, which is both exciting and scary, right? Like like you're the person and and it kind of ends up being on your plate whereas at microsoft there are kind of so many people surrounding you that in many ways it's like really difficult to fail like you can make a mistake but realistically it's not going to get through all the channels and and actually make it out the door and like there's that possibility here and so you know it just impresses upon you the opportunity you have to really make an impact on a product that that so many people use cool so we talked a lot about 
Well, we talk a lot about the tech news on this show. Yep. So over the last year, we've talked a lot about Google and a lot about Facebook and not very positive things. <laughs> Microsoft has kind of stayed under the radar for a little bit. Um, you know, I, I feel like Facebook and Google have been in the news as like companies to hate. And maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, Microsoft used to be yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so... What do you think happened? And Microsoft is, is now, are they the most valuable company in the world? They, they actually are, yeah. I think they're the wow. number one most valuable company in the world by market cap. And I think you were saying that, you know, the companies like Facebook and Google have not had good press, you know, recently by, by any means. But Microsoft has, has been on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And I actually believe, like, they're still very under the radar in a positive standpoint. They are the most valuable company in the world, but people always talk about the FANG companies, Facebook, Apple, Google, and Netflix. Yeah, where's, where's Microsoft? Microsoft? Where's Microsoft, right? <laughs> yeah, and so, um, you know, I I think it's a, a company. Where's, where, I mean, Netflix, come on. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I don't, uh, it's a good company. I don't know who's in charge of making up these acronyms. It, it I sounds think like FANG, <laughs> how would you, yeah, it wouldn't really work with an M there, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. But like when you, when you think of like Microsoft is just one of the most impactful companies of all time. They've been around for 40, 45 years. And, and even in, in the decade 2000 to 2010, where a lot of people said, oh, they're really struggling as a company, like they generate billions of dollars in revenue every year. Every single office, every single home around the world uses their products. Like, how yeah. can you ignore them? And I think over the past five years or so, they've really gone through a renaissance. They've really changed how they develop products in a way that is kind of landed them in the spot where they're at, whereas all of the other companies are just kind of on the other end of the spectrum. So what were some of the changes that you saw when you were there? You got, you have the new CEO when you were there? Yeah. So what was interesting is I was there for about a year when Steve Ballmer was still the CEO. And, and right. after that year or so, that's... That's when he decided to step down and Satya Nadella became the new CEO. And, you know, I think it was a time of, you know, there was a lot of hope that it was, you know, a changing of the guard, so to speak. And a lot of people thought that over time, Microsoft would change in the ways that it needed to, to, to really become successful again. And what I and so many other people were shocked by was how quickly the company changed. I think within a year, the, the amount of change that happened was something that I expected five to seven years to really take. The way we started going about thinking about how to develop products, how do we ship more quickly, how do we ship products and features that customers actually want, how do we ship you know, things that are really innovative again, and start thinking holistically about what can Microsoft as a company that develops so many different types of products do together to really innovate in, in, in technology. Now, if you, you had a company of, you said, for 100,000 employees, yep. it seems like, you know, Everyone would want their company to turn around like that in terms of feeling like you're getting things done. But yep. doing that with 100,000 people already in their daily routines, yep. how do you think they did it? Yeah. I, I, honestly, I could never even imagine the long tail things that they did. I think there's a couple of things that really helped. I think the first one was embracing cross-platform development. Um, for a long time, Microsoft obviously develops the Windows operating system. It's the most popular OS in the world. Sure. And so they just said, okay, well, we're only going to really focus on building stuff for Windows. And there came a point in time where the iPhone and Android became really popular. 
and they couldn't afford to ignore them anymore. And I was lucky to be working on some of the first teams that were building for cross-platform. Once they embraced that, I think it set them on a really good new trajectory to say like, we don't care where you use our products. We just care that you're using our products in the way that's going to make you most productive, most effective at what you're doing. Yeah. That was number one. Number two was... Talking about cross-platform, funny yeah. story. Uh, I, I was invited to a game night on Friday for Age of Empires 2, but since I have a Mac... I don't think it's going to work oh, uh, cross-platform play. <laughs> uh, but that, that was uh, created 20 years ago, and yep. they wouldn't have done that 20 years ago. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, um, it, it, honestly, it's a, it's a huge thing, and I think people were so shocked when, when we finally made that change, but it, it, was, a, it was a really important um, shift, I think. Um, the other thing that I think was, was really helpful was that Microsoft is, is often sort of used as the example for waterfall development as kind of a short explanation. It's basically this idea that somebody decides what we're going to build and somebody designs what's going to get built and then somebody builds what's going to get built and then somebody tests it. And then it's just like hopping a set of responsibilities over a wall and nobody ever looks back and nobody ever questions, are we still building the right thing? And they would do this over very long periods of time. You know, you would always get Office 2003, Office 2006 or whatever it was. And every Every three years, you'd get new features, yeah. but that was about it. It was like if you waited, like from Windows XP, you waited yeah. five years. There was some service packs, yeah. but you waited five years for Windows Vista. Right. People decide Windows Vista sucks, and it's like, okay, you've yep. got to wait another three years, and then the new one out. And, and nowadays, when you think about it, like how often does Instagram or Swarm or Google like wait to release new features? Like, no, like every month, every two months, you're getting a new feature, right? right. And so as Microsoft started to shift to like, we need to develop software faster. Hmm. We're going to get everybody onto subscription so that we can just always update our software. We're going to deploy more regularly. Um, that allowed them to be more responsive to the things that their users and customers actually need so that they wouldn't go and develop things for three years that nobody actually wanted or cared about. Um, and I think that both from an enterprise and a consumer standpoint has been uh, been the biggest shift for them. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, I think, well, uh, is there anything else that you would like to talk about today? We had some, uh, we had some interesting examples here uh, of... Um, tech innovation applied to old school industries. Yep. Uh, did you want to talk about that at all? Well, so there, there was another thing that we were talking about a little bit, which was getting, um, I, I'm a huge sports fan, and obviously, yeah. you know, we both work in technology, and I think it's really interesting thinking about uh, how tech is permeating sports and what. Do you want to you chat about that a little bit? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So... Because um, you gave, you were talking about the basketball example earlier, and I found that really interesting. Yeah, so it, the, the basic gist of it is, you know, we, especially in technology, we try as much as possible Possible to use data to help us make decisions. You know, where are, you know, what types of features do customers want? Where's the most, you know, total market share? How are users using our products? And, and we use that to guide where we're going. And the sports industry and basketball in particular has really embraced that general model. Um, and so some of the things that they're doing is they're recording every possible bits of data about a game and how it's being played and using that to run simulations to figure out, okay, if we change our strategy in this small way and keep running it, like, are we expecting to score more points? If we speed up the game or slow down the game, if we shoot more three-pointers or less three-pointers, how does that impact our strategy? How does that impact our expected outcome? Right. So it's almost like if a player had a little uh, computer in their ear saying, yep. It's, it's statistically optimal to take the shot now. That, that's exactly what is happening now. Mm. They don't necessarily have 
earpieces and, and somebody telling them in real time. But the way the, that players are prepping now is they will watch game film, which is something that they've always done, but they will also receive reports saying, hey, the team that you're playing against this week is really good at defending this type of play. So instead of running that play this week, we're going to do something else because we know that that is likely not going to work. Uh, so now, now your uh, NBA stars have to be analysts. They have to sift <laughs> through these reports. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's so many stories these days of NBA players who may not be the most athletic or, or they're not going to be the LeBron James that you hear about all the time, but they're players who actually understand how to parse data analytics and how to apply that to their games who are like having really long careers, even though in the olden days they may not have been because they weren't the most athletic or had the most talent. Um, right. And so I think, you know, introducing data and technology into sports um, is really changing like strategies that teams are employing. It's changing the types of people that are able to have long, sustainable careers in these different leagues. Um, and ultimately, you know, professional sports is entertainment value. If the strategy of the game changes, how fans parse the game is going to be very different as well. And, and yeah. seeing the game evolve over time is actually really exciting for a fan. Yeah, it's almost inevitable. I feel like these games evolve over time. Like you. If you look even you know before this trend, I'm sure if you looked at a game from, I don't know, 1940 and then mm -hmm. looked at another game from 1970, yep. you'll see, wow, the way they strategize just yep. changed completely. One of my favorite things is I follow a bunch of these sports statistics accounts on Twitter, and what they will do is they will post these graphs of, you know, how many points did the average team score back in 1940 and 1970, 1990, and 2010? And you'll yeah. see how there are these trends where, you know, sometimes games will be much more high scoring and then there'll be a period of five or 10 years where it becomes more low scoring. And that is, again, very much emblematic of, you know, teams collectively change strategies and therefore it changes entire leagues and everybody game plans around it. And then somebody's like, cool, we got to change the strategy again. And then everybody follows them along. And so it's almost like if, if the, the balance of power could go towards offense, but that requires then then that pushes research into better defense. Exactly. And it's sort of this oscillating back and forth. And I think when you look at it at a macro level, I, I find that super fascinating. And, and you know, it, there's got to be somebody who's bold enough to say, everybody else is doing this. So we're going to do this now and try and be a trendsetter. Yeah. Sometimes it works brilliantly. And other times you look like you're an idiot. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to be on the right side of that. How do you think this affects like the, the gameplay now with just using analytics to figure out how to take shots and things like yeah, that? Yeah, basketball is a really good example of, of just using analytics to change the game. So, you know, uh, the big thing that's happening in basketball right now is that the game is much faster and that you're seeing players take a lot more three-point shots, just basically shooting it further from the basket. And that was derived because some, you know, basketball team admins and analysts basically said, if we just train our players to shoot three-pointers a little bit better, you know, never going to be as high quality of a shot as a, a two-pointer, then we can raise the expected value of an average offensive possession such that we think we'll come out ahead if we just start shooting more three-pointers. And so that yeah. started with one team, the Golden State Warriors, which everybody talks about, and Steph Curry in particular is kind of credited with changing the, this game a little bit. And and that was, say, maybe three or four years ago. Now you look at you know 29 teams in the NBA, they're all shooting like two times as many three-pointers as they were three, four years ago. Yeah. And, and like just seeing that the game change like that is really incredible. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is um, this sort of approach could really affect a game like golf, where you can like sit back and uh, 
you know, <laughs> actually look at what the model says in real time. Yeah. What's really interesting about golf is that, um, you know, you can actually use like all of these apps. Like I, I golf every now and then. And like, I take my phone on the course and I use these apps that are like, okay. And they'll be this course far- specific. Yeah. Course specific. And, and it's like, okay, well you're this far from the hole. So we think you should use like a seven club and you should try and hit it at this angle. Now, like I'm clearly not good enough to be able to do everything it's telling me. Oh to, yeah. No, but I, like it gives yeah. me enough guidance so that I don't hit the ball like a hundred yards past where the yeah. hole is. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that's super interesting as well. Yeah. All right. So um, can you send me some links on that and I'll post uh, some of these some of these articles on the page I on anything you do. Can. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, this is the part. Um, any closing thoughts and also tell the audience where we could find more about you and the work that you've done. Yeah, uh, closing thoughts. I mean, uh, again, like I think there's just a lot of really fascinating stuff that, you know, we can do with building location products. I think Swarm and City Guide and, you know, potentially anything we need to new we do in the future there's just going to be this massive trend of like building products for the real world Um, and i think you're seeing technology just being applied to so many different environments so like in general that's a space that i think you know viewers and listeners should really you know watch out for uh in terms of finding more about me on the internet i'm pretty much everywhere um avnish k91 on twitter is where i talk about stuff a lot all right avnish thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me appreciate it all right. So like I said, next week, I will reflect on my seven and a half years at Foursquare, you know, talking about working on the consumer apps. Marsbot. Can't forget Marsbot. Um, and of course, my more recent stuff in, you know, ad attribution. And uh, and I'm going to talk about what's next. So I'm going to leave that as a surprise for next week, although I'm sure some of you already know. Um, I'm also, you know, we talk a lot uh, about... Uh, a lot of issues here that are practical that help you at work. Getting along with your coworkers is one of them. And I took this personality test from an executive coach. It's a lot of fun. I have no idea what the results of my personality test are, but I have invited her to come on the show and talk to me about my results. So that's another one that you're going to want to hear soon. Uh, they're, they're always clashing personalities in the workplace, I, I, I feel like. And I think that sometimes there's this attitude, you can just move people around and the team's just going to gel just fine because as professionals, we do our best to get along with everyone. But if you really think about it, it does kind of matter which people you put together. It's like getting the right chemicals for the right reaction to take place. So I'm going to talk about that. Our lineup for 2019 is starting to look really fantastic. A lot of, we've got a few really technical people, um, a few... Um, you know, investment people. It's just some some really fascinating folks in the pipeline. Um, so uh, I look forward to that. And localmaxradio.com for any feedback about this show. And um, I have read a lot of your stuff. Some people, I know it's been a few weeks, particularly if you write me a longer email, I will get back to you. It just takes a long time. Uh, the shorter ones, I get back to you faster. But localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power. And she said, I don't care what you say. You're gonna say.